0: Good morning. It's Tuesday, May 12th, 2015. This is Tech Talk Today, episode 169. I can't believe how fast the episodes go on a daily show. You'd think I would have figured that out by now, but it still seems like 169 is a little ridiculous. It's a big day today. It's a Tuesday. Probably just said that. And uh, my wife's coming into the studio, Ange, in a little bit. Uh, She's bringing in her uh, Linux laptop. I'm going to be talking to her today on uh, Linux Unplugged about that. I'm really looking forward to that. But there has been some big surprise news. Some people are calling it the shock headline of the week. Um, however, there were some rumors that this was happening for people that were paying very close attention. So before we get into what is probably going to be the big story of the week, let's bring in our mumble room uh, so they can help us chew through some of this stuff. Time appropriate greetings mumble room. Good, Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Hello, everybody. So, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, in a major, major bid, uh, Verizon is buying AOL for $4.4 4 billion. AOL Online is being sold to Verizon. And uh, you need to think of AOL not just in the terms of the old dial-up company, but also as uh, the operators behind a lot of online properties like the Huffington Post, TechCrunch, um, the uh, Weblogs, Inc. Uh, blog Network. So 4.4 billion or 50 dollars per share, and AOL will become a subsidiary of Verizon as part of the deal, which will be overseeing a bigger push for Verizon to get into mobile content. Verizon's acquisition further drives its LTE wireless video and over-the-top video strategy, the carrier said in a statement. And the other thing about Verizon or I'm sorry, the other thing about AOL that would be appealing to Verizon is this AOL has been building up a advertising business. And, and, and something built around how it's monetizing a lot of its web properties, which has actually been making some money. Uh, and they've even had some partnerships with companies like ESPN to bring in some really huge audiences to AOL's ad platform. So this is an area for AOL that's actually generating some money. Uh, the other areas of AOL's businesses that are fit for Ryzen is the still lingering dial-up business, uh, which remains a big revenue generator for AOL. Last quarter pulling in $182.6 million for AOL because people still have dial-up. It is a decline of 7% from last year, but as the businesses go, there's really no cost to running it because they've already bought a lot of the hardware. So it's super cheap for AOL to run it, so it's a moneymaker. So Verizon can buy that up. It fits in with their existing strategy, and they can make money off that. Um... I don't know exactly what all this means. AOL has a lot of really big online assets. Uh, the deal means that the that AOL become a division of Verizon, and that Verizon will oversee AOL's current assets plus any additional assets from Verizon. They're going to move into the mix. That always works great, right, guys? The deal will not change AOL strategy. All that, but actually, they say it's going to expand the AOL online presence. We don't know. Uh, there is an all hands AOL employee memo going out right now that is posted over at TechCrunch, and they're having an all hands meeting as well. Huge story. Uh, uh AOL has been in this industry forever. Uh, I don't know. Q, uh, or Corky is uh, asking the question, you know, what's their patent situation? I bet they have quite a bit. I bet they have a ton of stuff like that. Uh, Keller, what do you think? You say prepare yourself. Is this a bad sign? More blo- where to come. They're uh-huh. going to be loaded up with all <clears> the garbage <throat> on Verizon phones. Oh, like AOL Instant Messenger and things like that? Hmm. Oh,
1: yes. And then you got... Uh have some properties like you're, you're, pre, you're, you're going to be automatically signed up for Huffington Post or any other AOL right, right. assets before you get anything else. There
0: is some rumors, according to Recode. Kara Swisher over at Recode is uh, reporting that AOL is in talks to spin off Huffington Post um, maybe for a billion dollars just on its own. So if a, a billion do- – if HuffPo is worth a billion dollars, that seems like some crap to me, but uh, that's what they're saying. Hmm.
1: They're very good at aggregating everybody
0: else's news. Yeah, right. Uh, I, it's funny. I have this, I'm just looking at all the different headlines here. Uh, a wall street journal, a Dennis K. Brim writing for the wall street journal says AOL's acquisition suggests the telecom is actually panicking that Verizon's telco empire is crumbling and that it's scrambling to replace its income from its physical network with other sources. AOL's shares are up 18% after announcement of the AOL deal. So obviously the market is responding very well to it. Tim Armstrong will continue leading AOL underneath Verizon. He's the current head of AOL. He's the CEO. And uh, so it's to me, uh, I used to be an AOL customer. I used AOL since AOL 1.0. There was, I used AOL, CompuServe, and Prodigy. I kind of bounced around them and got into BBSs and all of these were uh, the way you got on the internet back in the day. And so... Um, for those of you who were not around or didn't, weren't really paying attention, there was a period of time where AOL was the Internet for a lot of people. They were sort of the monopoly. And it, it is a great example of like today we look at Comcast um, in the U.S. And it's, it shows you how history does sort of have cycles. Somebody can be the top dog today. Like AOL used to be the top dog, the undisputed champion. AOL was so popular that they had to work 24 hours a day to add capacity as fast as they could physically get the modems in. AOL was scrambling to add capacity. They were so popular. And it became like a thing that AOL people knew that there were certain times you wouldn't be able to get on AOL. Uh, And then AOL spread out from from the U.S. everywhere else. And uh, they actually did a pretty good job, I think, sort of making that transition from a dial-up company to an internet web property. They didn't survive, though, I suppose. And it's a little sad. I feel like them getting sucked into Verizon's sort of something going away. At the same time, I don't really have any particular soft spot for AOL. Mumble Room, you guys have any other thoughts on saying goodbye to AOL as a company? Yeah, AOL AOL is
1: actually pretty smart about what they did because they they pretty much saw that they were going to lose the internet market that they had and then diversified to like hundreds of different properties. Like there's things I didn't even know that they owned, like MapQuest and things like that. Yes, yes.
0: it's ridiculous. Well, and remember, there was that AOL time. That was really when things went wrong. With AOL time, Rika in the chat room is right. When the AOL time Warner merger happened, AOL had to pull out of that. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just a crazy time. It's just how much stuff has changed when you've been fo- when you've been following this for a long time. Yeah, I remember Net Zero, right. too. It's- I need to reload my
1: minutes. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. So we've talked a little bit about automated driving on this show before. Google self-driving cars are usually the popular one that we go to. And there's a write-up over at Medium.com. Uh, talking about uh, some of the um, numbers on Google self-driving cars. They have about 1.7 million miles logged, and uh, they've not just learned a lot about the self-driving cars, but how humans drive as well. Over the six years since they started the project, Google self-driving cars have been involved in 11 minor accidents. Light damage, no injuries. During those 1.7 million miles of autonomous and manual driving, the uh, drivers behind we always had someone behind the wheel. Not once... Not once was the Google self-driving car the cause of the accident. 11 accidents over six years, 1.7 million miles. Rear-end accidents seem to be the most frequent accidents in America, and guess what? We're also the most <laughs> the most frequent accidents per mile driven for the self-driving car. It doesn't matter if they say they were, most happened at intersections, but sometimes they're even hit uh, seven times, mainly at traffic lights, but also on the freeway. <laughs> Uh, My favorite
1: story about that was when the guy—they were like talking about how the the car had a crash, but it was actually when the the, the driver who was to make sure they didn't have a crash took a control and then hit somebody.
0: Wow! Yeah, wow! Uh, they say they're—I think they're using like the cameras or something to do these numbers. They say lots of people aren't paying attention to the road in any given daylight moment in America. There are over six hundred and sixty thousand people behind the wheel who are checking their devices instead of watching the road. Our safety drivers routinely see people weaving in and out of their lanes. We've spotted people reading books and even one playing a trumpet. <laughs> intersections are scary places. Over the last 7 years, or several years, I'm sorry, 21% of fatalities and about 50% of serious injuries on US roads have involved intersection. 50% of the serious injuries on US roads involve intersections. All all the injuries are usually do are usually to pedestrians and other drivers, not the driver running the red light. Oh, good to know. More incentive to run the red light. Uh, and they have some great screenshots. They show how some of this worked as far as the sensors go and things like that. Really, really super fascinating piece. A great one to throw in your Insta uh, Insta paper feed or pocket if you want to read it later. We'll have a link in the show notes. It's coming, though. It's coming. And it turns out they're going to be way better drivers than us when when the self-driving cars get here. Hey, speaking of the Googs, Let's talk about how uh, Edward Snowden's always using Hangouts. Doesn't that make you scratch your head when Edward Snowden's... uh Skype, he's he's Hangouting into South by Southwest over Hangouts or something like that. Well, after a lot of prodding and pushing for a long time, Google has essentially confirmed that Hangouts can indeed be wiretapped. Uh, it's kind of a slip, and this is what's very tricky about Google, because they use a little slip of the tongue to make it sound like it's encrypted. Here's what they say. Uh, when it asked, in a, during an AMA, uh, one of the uh, Hangout developers, one of the Google employees said that Hangouts is encrypted in transit. Oh, Okay. Encrypted in transit. Well, if you take it as Hangouts is encrypted in transit, that sounds like it's encrypted when it's transmitting, right? That is technically true from your computer to the Google computer. Once it gets to the Google computer, it is decrypted. There are legal authorities that are allowed to wiretap those communications. Hangouts are only encrypted on their way between your computer and Google services. Once they arrive at Google's end, Google has full access. It makes it technically possible for Google to wiretap conversations at the request of law enforcement agents, which they say they will do for Hangouts, even, and this is key, even when you're using the the off-the-record feature, which actually is only preventing the chat conversations from appearing in your own history. It doesn't provide any extra encryption, privacy, or security on Google's end. However... It's not so horrible. In all of 2013, Google only received 19 requests to perform a wiretap from the U.S. government. That's according to Google's transparency report. In the first six months of 2014, the latest data that we have publicly available, Google received seven wiretap orders. Now, it doesn't specifically state what products of Google's were wiretapped, Voice or Hangouts or whatever, but they've received... Not in an unprecedented amount. They've only received seven wiretap orders for the first six months of 2014. Doesn't include the last of 2014 or the first half of 2015. But uh, so you have to be super, super careful about when you hear that, yes, the service is encrypted. Because technically, when Google was first asked during an AMA, they said Hangouts is encrypted in transit. Well, that's part of the answer. But it's absolutely critical how it's stored and recorded. And think about this. When you're doing a Hangout, if you can click a button and within seconds it's completely published on YouTube, there's only one way to make that possible. It's recording everything all the time, and it's, e- it's easily publishable. Because when you normally publish to YouTube, you have to upload a very large file, and then YouTube takes a very long time to process and render that video. It's not ready to go like that. So they're obviously recording it for user functionality anyways. Wouldn't take much, I would think, just record it on the back end and not publish it anywhere. So, in other words, don't use Hangouts if you're uh, going to have your naked pictures or something like that. Uh, let's talk about Microsoft real quick. Uh, I think this is really nuts because it shows how serious these companies are investing in uh, their like back end infrastructure stuff. Microsoft is buying uh, several submarine cables to support its cloud services infrastructure. How about that? Uh Microsoft is investing several submarine cables to connect data centers globally in support of this uh it's connect it will connect Microsoft's North America data center infrastructure to Ireland and on to the united kingdom uh it'll do uh it'll do it'll be uh, the, the cable will yield an excess of ten terabits per pair, which is nearly triple the three point five terabits per pair delivered on the current systems ten terabits per pair. Wow that's they're gonna have twenty terabits in, in some some instances I don't know uh That'd be a hell of a would be a hell of a job to, to go down and lay cable at the bottom of the ocean, but nothing says you're more serious about wiring in your data center than than doing that. Like there, and Google does this as well, right? But it's it shows you the size and scope of these companies that they can take submarines and lay cable. It's amazing. I don't know exactly when it's gonna be ready. Oh, oh, here it is. Uh, it should be online in September 2015. Yeah, I'd take some of that. I'd take some of that. Hey, speaking of Microsoft, Microsoft is partnering up with uh, your friends over at Canonical. Ubuntu is jumping into the Internet of Things with Acer, GE, and Microsoft. What, 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 what? Yeah, that's right. Canonical and Microsoft are working together to bring Internet of Things to the people. Uh, Canonical will be showing off their products built around snappy Ubuntu Core at the Internet of Things World in San Francisco on May 12th and 13th. So that's today and tomorrow. Uh, And uh, with GE, Canonical will be demoing the first commercially available IoT-enabled fridge. Yeah, they call it IoT for Internet of Things. That's another douchebaggy term that we all get to say all the time that we all hate. It's called Chili Hub. The smart refrigerator uses snappy Ubuntu Core. Besides keeping your beer cold, Chili Hub is an open development platform. That's right. Your fridge is now an open development platform designed for makers, hackers, tinkers, and developers. Through the rapid design iteration by 3D printing on a MakerBot and other 3D printers, community members can collaborate on products and features to customize and create new uses for their refrigerators. Hell yes, that's exactly what I want. Put another $1,000 on that price tag. Acer and Canonical are still at the technology demonstration stage. Acer wants people to bring your own cloud, and Canonical are showing off a prototype of Acer's A-Bean-1, a cross-platform smart center, guess what, which could run Ubuntu Snappy Core. Yes, Ubuntu Snappy Core is an amazing platform for the new generation of cloud and device developers. That's according to Canonical's VP of IoT. Man, am I excited or What? Mumble room. Somebody, somebody, psych me up about this. I'm, I am. I. just am becoming a curmudgeon. I just really IoT. Can first of all, can we just call it network connected devices? And do we really need our fridge to be a platform for makers and hackers? Really, do we?
1: Well, they do because they want to make extra money because they're they're selling individual things like a milk jug sensor for the weight of the milk and an auto fill water pitcher, and each one of these are like fifty or hundred and fifty mm. or more. Mm. so they're they're doing it so they can you know just you 're not just paying for a thousand dollar fridge you're also paying for all these little extras
0: that makes sense, yeah, yeah, that makes sense and and you could see over time you could add services with them and things like that too, you could expand into that, and it gets more data points as well. I don't know. I'm I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time with a lot of the with a lot of the marketing speak. Uh, like here's a great one: with devices becoming smarter, smaller, and cost points dropping, with increasing scale and demand, we're seeing exciting innovation in the IoT market. <laughs> this is according to Microsoft EMA Director Technical Evangelist Development. He says smart industrial systems need to secure information flow from millions to millions of devices and systems to gain and act on driven data, data driven insights, data art. With their development and device Hive platform, combine specialized technology and vertical expertise that can now be easily. Consume value, the Microsoft Azure micro- Marketplace. I, I hear all of these things, and it just glosses over. It sounds like a bunch of people that are using a bunch of terms to sell more stuff. Ubuntu Snappy isn't even a full fledged product yet; it's a transactionally based uh, Linux core. That's it. That's all it is. And, and there's new snaps that they just announced a couple of days ago, but those aren't they, they, none of this stuff is shipping. None of this stuff is a real product. None of this stuff is proven in the marketplace. Why? Why? Ah, uh, how do we expect to be taken? Cr- it, credibility is on the line here, okay? And credibility, when it comes down to delivering on what you say you can do, but when you go out there with a product that's not even finished yet and all these announcements are made, the consumers are going to see this stuff, and I think everybody's going to glaze over. This stuff is a flop. I, and let's be clear I would love for all of the things in my world that are going to be Internet of Things devices, in other words, you know, things that have network connections that didn't before, like lights and refrigerators. Yeah, sure. I would love all of that stuff to run Ubuntu Snappy Core or some, tr- tr- some atomically transactionally updated base operating system. That would be a good thing. I would like my routers to run that. That would be a good thing. I just don't see it yet. I don't see how all this works together. I don't see the grand vision. I don't see it all clicking together in one big happy community. And I'm really just not ready for this. I, I, feel, like to- I feel like for me it is a money grab right now. And, it- these- and as somebody who's tried a few of these things, I just feel like they're not baked yet. And, and, and the, reason why I, the reason why this seems like a bad move is because this snappy itself doesn't seem it's like it's baked yet. And so how do you take something that's not a finished operating system to then use that as the basis for an unfinished, unstandardized, Internet of Things collection of crap gadgets? It, it seems like a total flop to me. End of rant.
1: I don't think it'll be a total flop commercially. I think it's, it's conceptually, yes, but commercially they're going to make a lot of money. Because how? Who's going to buy this
0: stuff? Who's going to buy this stuff?
1: The fact that people buy them already—they're smart, they're smart, te- smart fridge and stuff like that already. So there's, they're
0: I mean, No, there's Noah. There's fridges. people like Noah, but I don't. I I, I don't know. The, I, I know at least maybe three I'm getting people too old. One of those. I'm getting too old. Maybe if if I guess if the price if they brought the price point down quite a bit. I suppose it would be doable. Uh, so if they want,
1: to, they want me to pay $3,000 for a refrigerator, it better have a replicator in it.
0: I think the bigger story here is not so much of of these devices, is that Microsoft is partnering with these guys, that Microsoft is working with Canonical on yet another thing. I think that's the bigger story. I think maybe that's one we should talk more about and unplug this week, is, uh, is, is that particular aspect of it. Canonical is really, really re- making some good partnerships here with this kind of stuff, and it's going to make Snappy Core a reality. Um, so... That's pretty exciting. Uh, a lot of things going on right now with Microsoft, huh? Microsoft's really up to a lot of crap. And uh, in, in fact, speaking of Microsoft and their crap, uh, I really would like to recommend you check out yesterday's episode of Coda Radio, episode one fifty three. Um, bearded buzzwords. We talked about uh, the electron. Um, um, is it, it's not really a shell, but it's like uh, it allows you to, to write full JavaScript web apps, but make them desktop applications. And it sounds like, you know, Hocus Pocus, we've heard a million times, like Adobe Air was, you know, take a web app and make it a desktop application, just write it in Flash. And there's all these, there's been all of these different promises. Well, Electron, one thing that kind of makes it sort of legit is that Visual Studio Code uh, program that Microsoft recently released is written, uh, or is written around Electron use it from GitHub. And so in Coder Radio, we reviewed Visual Studio Code. We reviewed Electron, and uh, we talked a little bit about Atom and Sublime Text. We, did some, we had some good uh, text editing discussion as well as a bunch of other really good topics in uh, Coda Radio episode 135 this week. And, you know, I suppose while I'm being obnoxious and I'm plugging, I should also plug episode 213. Lucky 213 of the faux show, Angela and I reviewed our watches. I did the, uh, watch, the LG Watch R, and uh, she reviewed the uh, new Apple Watch. And uh, it was a pretty good, like, this is what this one does, this is what this one does better, this one does this one better. It was pretty fair and balanced, I thought. A little scattered, but pretty fair and balanced, and a good take on the advantages of both. So if you're curious, that's Apple Watch versus Android Wear, Fosho 213. And then last but not least, I want to thank all 488 of you over at patreon.com slash today for supporting the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. Sincerely, thank you. Thank you for helping us do this in a way that we can feel genuine and legit to our audience. It really means a lot to us. Patreon.com slash today. Help fund our future projects. And we have a few things in the works you may or may not have heard about. And uh, it's because of these patrons that we're able to do them. And uh, I think you're really going to love one of our new shows we have in the works. Patreon.com slash today. Wow. Gosh, Mumbler, is there anything else we need to touch on before we get the hell out of here? Because this feels like today was a marathon of like big news stories. A lot of stuff going on. This uh, this Internet of Things thing has got me all verklempt. I mean, I got I got a lot of reflecting to do on this. All right, guys. Well, since uh, you're verklempt as well, then I wanted to end on a commercial that goes back to our big top story this week. AOL. This commercial is from 1997 when AOL was at the height. People had gotten their you know Windows 95 computers for a little while. Windows 95 SE was out or whatever it was called. OS 2 or whatever. They, OS, what do they call that second release of 95 where they introduced USB support? You guys know what I'm talking about? Windows ninety five didn't actually ship with USB support, and then they iterated it a little bit later, and they added USB support, and when they did that, the USB modem scene blew up and a lot more people started signing up for AOL. And so this commercial came in Yeah, that's why they also added an Explorer, that's right. Yes. There was yeah, there was ninety eight SE, but no, there was a there was like a there was like a second release in ninety five. It was like the better ninety five. And they also I think introduced FAT thirty two support in that release. I can't remember though it all runs together. Anyways, this commercial comes from that era when the – yeah, yeah OSR2. Thank you, Natch. It was Windows – that was close. It was Windows 95 OSR2. This is right after Windows 95 OSR2 comes out. A new generation of modems hits the market. 33.6 is – it's really popular. People are buying it like crazy. And AOL is way over capacity, but they still got to sell, sell, sell. And so that's where this commercial leaves us back at their height. See you back here tomorrow, everybody. We do the show live 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. JBLive.tv, techtalktoday.reddit.com to make this show better. See you tomorrow. America on America Online?
1: It puts the whole internet right at my fingertips. We can send instant messages just like that. The news is breaking. I've got it now. I can stay a little closer to my family. You've got mail. America Online. Easy to use. Friendly menus.
0: Put in the disc, click, you're online.
1: And we've been working night and day to more than double capacity and make it even easier.
0: I got homework help, and my dad thinks I'm a genius.
1: America Online, so easy to use, no wonder it's number one.